A very good warm welcome to you, a very good morning and a warm welcome to you today. Uh, we're grateful to you for joining with us in this service from Stornoy Free Church on this new Lord's Day. And we pray that God will sanctify his day to us, that we will sanctify him in our hearts today as we worship him together. We're going to begin our worship today singing in Psalm 98. That's in the Sing Psalms version of Psalm 98 and singing to the tune Sheffield. Oh, sing a new song to the Lord, for wonders he has done. His right hand and his holy arm the victory have won. The Lord declared his saving work and made it to be known. To all the nations of the world his righteousness is shown. Psalm 98, singing the verses marked 1 to 3, the first four stanzas, Tunis Sheffield, will sing a new song to the Lord. Oh, sing a new song to the Lord, for wonders he has done. of John and in chapter 6 verses 14 to 21. John chapter 6 and beginning at verse 14. This refers to the sign that Jesus had done which is John's word for describing the miracles of Jesus uh, where he had just fed the multitude. So John 6 14 when the people saw the sign that he had done they said this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. 
But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at land to which they were going. I pray God will bless uh, this portion of his word to us. Now let's engage in prayer and call upon the Lord together. Lord our gracious God, we come to you today as one who is at all times worthy of our worship, of all elements of our worship in praise, in prayer to you, in seeking your blessing. We thank you for your word that guides us at all times into your presence. We thank you that your word does not change. Whatever circumstances we are in, however much they may change from time to time, even from day to day, we thank you, Lord, for your word that is constant for us and a ready source not only of teaching but of comfort as you use it for our encouragement. We thank you today for this gathering of worship and for every gathering of worship throughout the world today. We give thanks, Lord, for the desire you place in our hearts to come before you in order to sing your praise and to read your word and to pray to you and to hear what you will speak to us through your word of truth. Today, Lord, we pray like the psalmist that you would send forth your light and your truth, that they might be our guides, even to take us into your presence. We pray that we may know your presence with us. We thank you, Lord, that while we are apart in terms of distance, yet, Lord, your presence can be made known to us, each one of us, where we are. We can be bound together with that sense of your presence through the Holy Spirit. And this, Lord, is what we pray for today. And we ask that you would take those things of Christ that your word sets forth and show them to us. Open up our understanding, we pray, that we may understand more of your ways and be taught in more of your paths. To be led and instructed by you today in these great avenues of your truth and providence. Lord, we need this at all times. We need that you should teach us and teach us about your ways. Teach us about the way in which you provide for us at times things which mystify us, things which we cannot explain to ourselves or to others, things in which we know your purpose is set and yet we cannot at all times discern the detail of that purpose. But we thank you for the assurance that your word gives us that all things work together for good to those who love the Lord, to those who are called according to your purpose. Lord, we ask today that you would grant us that blessing that would enrich our lives further. Help us to rely on those things that we have already known of you, but not in such a way that would uh, not seek further uh, information and teaching and guidance from you. We bless you today that you are the one who forgives our sins, that it is a, a great aspect of your redemption and your dealings with us, that you pity us in our plight as sinners, that you have provided for us, O Lord, a glorious redemption, a salvation in which the forgiveness of our sins is so central. We bless you that that is why you came into the world in the person of your Son. You sent your Son, O Lord, so that his name would be called Jesus, for he would save his people from their sins. We pray today that you would give us a renewed sense of our need of that 
forgiveness and of that cleansing from our sins. We sin against you daily. We thank you that though in your forgiveness our sins are entirely forgiven, that we are justified completely and given the righteousness that is Christ's own righteousness uh, to be placed on our record. Yet we are conscious, O oh Lord, that we come short every day of that standard of holiness which you require. So we come to you again for your forgiveness. We pray, Lord, today that you would restore our souls as the great shepherd of our lives. We pray for all that we commit to you today of our friends, our families, our homes, our communities. We pray for any, especially, Lord, today who may be going through very difficult times, whether through illness or sorrow, bereavement or challenge, who may feel lonely and who may at this time, especially in our circumstances in the world with the pandemic, who may be very anxious even about the thought of going back out into public again. Gracious Lord, still our hearts we pray and give us, Lord, to have our confidence in yourself. Even as we take measures for our protection and for the safety and protection and welfare of our fellow human beings, Lord, we pray that you would nevertheless give us the confidence even in observing these, the confidence that you know all things about this pandemic. You have the purpose for it in your own mind and plan from all eternity. Lord, we pray for grace to bow in your presence and to submit ourselves every day to you, to be willingly ruled by you and guided by you in your truth. Remember us here as a congregation, we pray, and grant that as we hear of further easing of our lockdown restrictions at this time. Lord, may this continue and enable us once again to gather physically in our buildings as we would love to be. Help us, we pray, to pray towards that. And help us, we pray, to recover from this time as a nation, as a people. We ask that you would direct those who are in government over us to that end. We pray that you would guide their hearts and their minds and their considerations and those who give them advice from a medical perspective. We thank you for that and we pray, O oh Lord, that you would continue to uh, be our, our guide and our stay during these anxious times. Remember again those who have lost loved ones. We know that there are many who have lost loved ones through the COVID pandemic itself. We pray for every family, uh, so many of them, Lord, that we don't know, uh, so many of them that we know are going through difficult times. We pray too for those in the process of recovery from the illness, for those who have long-term effects of it and are given uh, to know that that will continue for some time yet. Remember them, Lord, we pray, and those who look after them and their families. Continue, we pray, to bless those who care for us at these times. Our medical staff in hospitals and hospices and care homes, remember them, Lord, we pray and all others who are involved in medical care. We thank you for them and thank you for their skills that you have given them and for their dedication. We pray once again that you'd be with them. Help them to look to you at all times, that they may find their sufficiency in yourself. Be pleased again to bless our young people as they learn once again today of those things of your gospel. And uh, we pray that you would uh, bless their young hearts so that they be established in your ways. 
and that they do not experience years of spiritual desert wandering, but rather, Lord, that they be brought to yourself to know you at a young age and to serve you the whole of their life's journey through this world. We pray for those of them that confess you already as their Saviour and their God. Lord, protect them, we pray, and make them to be a ready witness to their own contemporaries. And give them, we pray, to be encouraged in the way of the Lord and in serving him. Remember the Youth Fellowship tonight, O Lord, as they meet together. We pray for them and pray for Marianne and all our youth leaders and our Sunday school teachers. Uh, we give thanks for them and we pray, Lord, that the work that they do in such a dedicated way might be blessed and owned and bear fruit, not only now but in days and years to come. And we ask for them that they may know your own presence and your own encouragement in their own hearts. So remember us then, Lord, we pray now, and continue with us as we further read your word and wait upon your spirit. Hear us and accept us and cleanse us from all our sin. For Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, again, children, we're looking today at uh, Jesus in the book of Psalms. And today I want to read from Psalm 80, the beginning of Psalm 80. This is a psalm by a man called Asaph. Some of the psalms are by Asaph. Some are by David, some are unknown. But the first verse of Psalm 80 says, Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock. You who are enthroned upon the cherubim, shine forth. Before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh, stir up your might and come to save us. Now the Bible, as you know, many times speaks about the Lord as a shepherd. And just like a shepherd, the ordinary shepherd, looks after sheep in his job in this world, so the Lord looks after his people as a shepherd looks after his flock. And of course, you see in the New Testament, especially how Jesus is described or describes himself in John chapter 10, especially as the good shepherd who loves his sheep to the extent that he goes and gives his life for them in order to save them. Now, one of the things that a shepherd does is gather his flock. You'll see on television now various programs, uh, documentaries and so on. Uh, you'll find um, some of these are about shepherds. You'll find them going out at times to gather in the flock, whether it's for feeding or to take them to another fresh pasture or to have their shearing done, whatever. There's so many different ways in which a shepherd gathers the flock. And sometimes a shepherd gathers a flock by having new lambs added to the flock, having other sheep that he buys from outside or she buys from outside and they are added to the flock. So the flock is kept and uh, uh, expand sometimes or sometimes maybe reduced in size but a shepherd looking after the flock um, looks after them in a way especially that gathers them and you've often heard I'm sure uh, or seen even a shepherd gathering the flock and very often it's by calling them because every shepherd knows his sheep and the sheep know the shepherd that cares for them. It's one of the wonderful things about the relationship between a shepherd and his sheep, that he knows the sheep, as Jesus says in John 10, and his sheep know his voice. And they're able to recognize his voice. I remember one time my father, who kept some sheep, had a sheep which went blind. And that sheep was still perfectly healthy, apart from the fact that it couldn't see anything. 
and it was a wonderful thing when uh, you could call the sheep and uh, you could try and gather the sheep. That sheep would not move much until it heard my father's voice because that was the shepherd as far as she was concerned. And whenever my father called, she would follow the rest of them. And it's a demonstration of how wonderful the relationship is between the shepherd and his flock. And Jesus calls his sheep through his word, through the Bible, and through his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is, where, uh, is uh, uh, the, the, the way by which Jesus uses his word and calls us to himself and gathers us together to be a flock. And the sheep respond because they know his voice. Now in Psalm number 80, it's a, a very sad psalm in some ways, because uh, all the way through it, uh, the psalmist is praying to God as the shepherd of Israel to come and restore them. It's saying that a number of times, restore us, O Lord. Restore us, O God of hosts. Turn again to us, O Lord of hosts. Restore us. Because they have gone astray, just like sheep sometimes do. And we all do that. And you may do that too, even though you're very young. Sometimes you may not read your Bible as often as you should. Sometimes you maybe stop praying as often as you know you should be praying. Sometimes you maybe just don't attend to your Sunday school lesson with quite the same attention that you maybe did in the past. And there's different ways in which we as adults as well, even if we've been Christians for many years, we can still go astray, we can still stop doing things we should be doing, our hearts can go cold, and we don't maybe have the same element of love for Jesus that we once had. And that's when Jesus needs to restore us. And Psalm 23, you remember, that's one of the things that uh, Psalm 23 says about the Lord is my shepherd. He restores my soul. A good shepherd will always see when his sheep need to be cared for to restore them, to clean them, to shear them, and to give them their, uh, their annual or biannual wash and dipping. All of these things as a shepherd cares for the sheep are ways by which he's restoring them and keeping them in good health. And we need to come to God sometimes for that. In fact, we need to come to him often and say, Lord, restore my soul. Give me back the love that I once had for you. Psalm 51 has the same thing, where David had so badly sinned against God. And Psalm 51 is his prayer of repentance, where he says, Lord, restore to me the joy of your salvation. So if you're not today as an adult or a child enjoying God the way that you once did, the way that you would like to, the way that you should, and myself, here's a prayer for us today. Shepherd of Israel, He's saying to him, come, give ear, listen to us, and come and restore us, and come and save us, and use your might and your power to do that for us. So God, the shepherd, there's so much else that we could say about that, but we'll leave it at that just now. A restorer, the one who cares for us and restores our soul. So let's now say the Lord's Prayer. Let's pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. 
and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's read once again. This time it's in Mark's Gospel, the Gospel of Mark chapter 6. And at verse 45. Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when the evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them, and about the fourth watch of the night he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost, and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they came to land at Gennesaret and moored to the shore. When they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognised him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he came, in villages, cities or countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment, and as many as touched were made well. And we want to follow uh, on from where we saw last week, the previous part of this passage, the feeding of the 5,000, and look at these verses 45 to 52, especially where we find the miracle of Jesus walking on the sea. Now, all four Gospels actually keep a close connection between these two events, the feeding of the 5,000 and this event where the storm overtook the disciples at sea, where Jesus walked on the water towards them. There are many contrasts between the two events. The one took place in the daytime. This one that we're looking at today took place in the middle of the night, right in the middle of the night, the fourth watch of the night. And uh, there are many other contrasts that you could see in, in the two events. But they're actually very much the same in terms of the message that they give us. And the message is primarily Jesus coming to intervene, to get himself involved, to actually meet and to relieve human need and human distress. The need of the 5,000 to be fed, the need of the disciples rocked about in the boat at sea to be calmed and to be assured by Jesus being with them. In other words, to put that in other terms, both of these passages are reminding us of something really important, and that is that the grace of Jesus, the power of Jesus, the presence of Jesus, everything that you could say is built into the grace of Jesus as he ministers to his people, that grace is suitable for every situation in our life. What could be more different than sitting on a nice grassy hillside eating the food that Jesus had miraculously prepared. What could be so different to that than being in a little boat tossed around on a stormy sea? The same Jesus, the same grace, 
The same ability meets both events, both sets of circumstances. Now here are four precious facts in this passage, and they are facts. We're taking these as factually accurate. We say that so often about the events that are described in the Bible for us. They are actual historical events that took place, just as they're described in the Gospels here. And the four precious facts that we find in this description, in this passage, are to encourage us in regard to Jesus and our understanding of him and our relationship with him. First of all, you find in this passage the praying Jesus. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat to go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. Why did he send them away? Why did he dismiss the crowds? Well, it was, as we'll see, so that he could have time to pray. But there was also something else in the situation that really needed his prayer. And that was that in John chapter 6, verse 15, we read that there was a movement beginning that wanted to make him king. They were wanting to establish an earthly kingdom with Jesus as their leader, as their political leader, as their king, to throw off the, the Roman uh, the Roman Empire's uh, yoke, the power, uh, the way in which they were ruled by them, and they were longing for the day when that would end. Here was their opportunity for some of them that Jesus could be made their king, and they would just establish the kingdom and once again be known as a people independent and ruling themselves under his kingship. Well, Jesus, of course, knew that that could not be the case. And so he needed time himself to pray about the situation, uh, but also to take the disciples out of that situation and protect them from that increasing momentum of uh, uh, those who wanted to make him a king. And he met that crisis, and it was something of a crisis. He met that, as he met every crisis, with prayer. He went up to the mountain to pray, and he was there all day and on into the night. Uh, we find the same in chapter 1, verse 35, where Jesus prayed there after the first, uh, uh, first uh, events of his ministry. And you remember there in chapter 1 of Mark, uh, after his baptism and temptation, and he went and called the first disciples, um, that he then uh, went up rising early in the morning to preach in Galilee. He, while it was still dark, he departed, went to a desolate place. And although, John doesn't, um, uh, although Mark doesn't describe the choosing of the disciples as such, uh, we find in Luke's Gospel, chapter 6, before Jesus actually came to choose the twelve apostles, he prayed all night. A deliberate, specific time of prayer for a specific need that he had and for a specific important event, the choosing of the twelve apostles, he met that with prayer. And of course, that's really our example for prayer. Every event of life ought on our part to be prepared for in prayer, even before the stormy parts of life, not just while uh, we are like the disciples in a little boat, as it were, being tossed around and have difficulty in God's providence and things happen which cause us pain and distress and anxiety. Before all of that, 
while it's calm weather, as it were, we should then be praying to God, not just in case we get into some difficulties, but just because it's the right thing to do. And here's another important point. Before these men ever experienced the storm, Jesus was already praying for them. It wasn't just about himself that he was praying. He was obviously praying about these disciples, that they would not be caught up in this movement to make him a king on earth. And so before the storm ever broke, Jesus' prayer had gone before them. Like what God said about um, to Elijah about him leaving where he was and uh, going to go to the brook Kerith. Behold, he said, I have commanded the ravens there to feed you. Before Elijah took a step, step towards Kerith, the Lord had gone before him and prepared things for him. The same when he went to the widow of Sarephath. Leave where you are, he said, go to this widow woman in Sarephath, for I have commanded that for you. You see, Jesus' command has gone ahead of these disciples. Jesus' prayer, they are already within the intercession of Jesus before the event ever breaks. How precious is that in your life and mine today? That before tomorrow comes, or even the later parts of this day, whatever they may contain, the petitions of Jesus in his intercession for his people, if you are one of his today, that's always going ahead of you. That's always something that's there before you reach the event. It's the praying Jesus. He went onto the mountain to pray. And that is such a precious, precious point we come to face the issues of life. When you place yourself in the hands of Jesus by faith, when you entrust yourself and your life to him, this is what in fact it means. You are within, you are inside the praying of Jesus, the intercession of Jesus for his people goes ahead of you into all the events of your life. He is the praying Jesus. Secondly, in this passage, he is the perceptive Jesus. There they were out at sea, and he was alone on the land, and he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. They were toiling, but they were toiling painfully. In other words, it wasn't just sheer physical energy, sheer physical pain in their toil. There's an element of distress in this as well. They were really anxious. They were toiling painfully. There was something there that caused them to be anxious and distressed within their, within their souls. And you see, it wasn't from disobedience that this happened. We know another occasion, the case of Jonah, for example, where his disobedience took him away from God's commandment to go to Nineveh, and he found a boat, and things seemed to be going well, and he went off with the boat, in the boat, out to sea in the ship, until the Lord came and the literal word is, just like you see in a bowling alley, the Lord hurled out a great tempest, caught up with the ship and of course we know the story after that but that's because Jonah was out of the Lord's way and God was as it were sending this in order to bring him back into the way of obedience to God these disciples had obeyed Jesus they were in the right way they were in the Lord's way they were in God's path and yet they're in the midst of a storm well it's like that isn't it because sometimes being a Christian and even being in the right path 
being in obedience to Jesus, following Jesus, following his word, sometimes means rowing against the wind. It sometimes means experiencing the storms of life. And there's always a purpose in that. But you see, he saw them, and these two words are so wonderful. He saw. He saw that they were making headway painfully. It was still dark. It was still stormy. He was at a considerable distance from them, but he saw them. They were never out with his eye. They were always in his vision. Today, as a Christian, you and I may be struggling. You may be far from familiar land, as it were, miles out at sea in a spiritual sense, like these were literally out at sea. You may be toiling against whatever difficulty you have or problem you have in your life and God's providence at this time, far from familiar land and it seems so dark and you're not making much progress. C.S. Lewis said once, uh, following his uh, bereavement of uh, his wife, why did nobody tell him and teach him and tell him that this was going to be so painful? He was not prepared for the depth of pain that bereavement in his case brought and in many other cases. And maybe you're like that today. Maybe you're saying that you just didn't expect the storm to be just quite as strong, the pain to be quite as deep, the anxiety to be quite as long-standing as it's been. But he sees you. You're never outside of his eye. You're never out with his vision. His eye follows you. He's, he's got his eye upon you as much in the middle of the storm as in the middle of the greatest moments of peace. And you know, sometimes you might find people who really don't like the Christian life and accuse us of just following blindly and uh, believing things that have never been established and so on. You know, the kind of, uh, the kind of um, uh, opposition that, that, that's there in the world today. It's always been there. And those observers of your life today, even if you're, as, you're, as they're seeing you really going through difficulties and trials in your life, and they know that's in your life, they may say, well, what's the point of following Jesus? What's the point of just being a Christian if it's not going to really make your life any easier than it was beforehand. Well, the point is this, that you are within his prayers and you are within his vision. His eye is upon you and his prayers have enfold, enfold, enfolded you and closed you within all this intercession for you. And you see, that's, so precious, isn't it, for yourself today? I can't say what your life is like at the moment. Sometimes, perhaps, maybe it's the case with you just now that uh, there are things in your life that you just feel you cannot describe to anyone else and that you don't even necessarily want to share with anyone else. But if his eye is upon you, even in the midst of the storm, and he's praying for you as he is for his people, you're a safe in the middle of that storm, as you would be on dry land. Because this is the praying Jesus, and this is the perceptive Jesus. He prayed for them, and he saw them in the midst of the storm. Thirdly, because these are steps that take us further into these wonderful facts about Jesus. It's not just the praying Jesus 
and the perceptive Jesus. Thirdly, he's the powerful Jesus. It wasn't enough for the Lord just to view them from land and be able to pray for them from a distance. Next thing you see is he saw that they were making painful progress for the wind was against them and he came to them walking on the sea. What wonderful words. He came to them walking on the sea. He brought himself near them. He brought his presence out onto the sea to be with them. Now he came in a way that was completely unexpected, a way that we, in, in the Bible at least, there's no record of him ever doing this previously or again. He came to that boat, tossed around in the stormy sea, walking on the surface of the sea. Now some people will say, well that's just impossible. You try and walk out onto the sea and immediately you start sinking unless you're able to swim. But you can't walk on the surface of the sea, people will tell you. That's ordinarily the case. It's against the laws of nature, the laws that God has built into the creation. The law of gravity, for example, means that you fall. You fall to the ground. You sink into the sea. You try and walk on it. And people will say, well, this is just not right. You can't actually believe this stuff, surely, because nobody's able to walk on the sea. And Jesus couldn't have walked on the sea because the law of gravity would have taken him down and he would have begun to sink. Well, this is not just about super. This is not just about um, a contradiction of the law of gravity. It's more than that. It's a superseding of the law of gravity. It's not just that Jesus is doing something different to the law that usually um, controls these sort of situations. He's actually going above them. In other words, what you find here is really fascinatingly, is actually uh, an anticipation of Christ's resurrection and of Christ's resurrection body, where he was able to come into the midst of our locked room, into the midst of the disciples, though the doors were locked. He was able to arrive and he was able to leave again. His his um, physical body after the resurrection, his resurrection body, has attributes and qualities about it that were not obvious before his resurrection. That's going to be the same for our body because it's patterned on his. And therefore it's not uh, something that you should see or agree with the argument that says this contradicts laws of nature. Well, it supersedes, it's above laws of nature because the law of nature will tell you nobody rises from the dead. Nobody has that capacity. When you place a body in the tomb, it's a dead body. But Jesus' resurrection shattered the grave. He rose above that law of death, if you like. And now he stands above it. And he's above it forevermore. And so this is an anticipation just as in fact the transfiguration was, and it also happened instantly, interestingly, while he was praying, he was transfigured. And the, his glory broke out, uh, for a moment at least, through his physical body. In other words, he was really, it was really an anticipation there as well of his resurrection, his being above the law of death. But let's leave that. It's a point that's important, but it's, it's much more important just now as we look at the passage and the purpose for it. Yes, that's true. It was an anticipation of his resurrection body, but it was not for show. He didn't actually walk out on the sea so that he could then turn to the disciples and say, look at me, look at what I can do. 
Look at how great I am. Look at the greatness of my power. Watch this. This is going to be spectacular. He came because he wanted to help them in their predicament. That's why he walked on the sea. Here you are, you see, with the whole world around him. And these few struggling, ordinary fishermen. And yet he does this for them. He walks on the sea because he sees them toiling and because he sees that they're making headway painfully and even in danger, perhaps, of, of uh, the boat being overwhelmed. And what does he do? Not only has he prayed for them and included them in his praying, not only has he actually seen them and seen every detail of that need and of what's happening to them and how they're toiling so painfully against the wind, that's not enough for him. He goes out and he walks on the water. He does a remarkable thing. He shows remarkable ability. He engages in a miracle to actually go to be present with struggling fishermen. How that gladdens my heart today and yours. That Jesus, for all his greatness, doesn't use his greatness to show off. He brings his greatness into our predicament, into our situations, into your toiling, into your struggles, into your anxieties, into your, uh, your uh, way of trying to cope with the difficulties of life. It's the praying Jesus and the perceptive Jesus and it's also the powerful Jesus that you find involved in these situations. His power and his presence are needed for all our struggles. But here's the point. Not only are they needed for all our struggles, but they are avail it's available for all our struggles. His power and his presence are in his commitment to his people. They are there for us. And part of our problem is that we don't turn to it and to him with the conviction that we should. Here's the praying, Jesus, for your encouragement. Here's the perceptive Jesus for your encouragement. Here's the powerful Jesus for your encouragement, for your salvation. And fourthly, here's the pacifying Jesus. He spoke to them and said, take heart. It is I, do not be afraid. You see, it wasn't just the waves, the wind that needed dealt with, their hearts needed dealt with, their minds needed dealt with, their anxieties needed to be taken away. Their, their, the pacifying of their heart was on his mind as well as the stilling of the storm around them. And of course they were terrified. Well, we'll just end on a point that picks that up again uh, which really means they should not have been terrified uh, having seen what he had done before with the previous miracle so let's leave that for the final point they were terrified they thought it was a ghost of course they hadn't ever seen anybody walking on the sea before so it's understandable from that perspective that they would be terrified they thought this was something just from another world someone from another world an apparition someone from the dead someone well, just that sort of thing. And so they were terrified, really, really terrified. But immediately he spoke to them. He didn't leave it for a certain time. 
he spoke to them immediately. But you notice there in verse 48, he meant to pass by them. Really something that say, he, he made as if he was going to pass by them. It, it wasn't that he meant to pass by them, but somehow or other they just changed his mind. This is something similar to Luke 24 and verse 28, uh, the two that were on the way to Emmaus and when he joined them and when they uh, he made that he would go further on, they appealed to him so that he would stay with them and he did that. There's something similar to that here. And it brings us really to one of the, the main strands and the purpose of Jesus in doing this with these disciples. And it is this, he is showing them that they need to believe and depend upon him when he's not physically present with them, just as surely as when he is. You see, so far, they've really been placing a lot of trust, uh, a lot of confidence in his physical presence. In the way that physically being with them, he's able to work these miracles, for example, even, even at times for their benefit as he is now. But he wants to teach them something deeper. He wants to teach them that when he has gone from them, as he eventually will in his ascension to heaven, they need to continue believing and trusting in him just as before. In other words, he's teaching them all the time. And this is part of the passage here, certainly. He's teaching them and he's teaching us as well that we must live by faith and not by sight. John chapter 20, remember the reaction of uh, of Thomas, when the disciples told him they had seen the Lord, he refused to believe. He wasn't there when he came into the room with them first time. A week later, there he is with the disciples. Jesus comes into the room and he says to, to Thomas, don't go on disbelieving, believe. Thomas says, my Lord and my God, one of the great confessions of the Bible. And Jesus turned and said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. There it is, you see, that's you and I today. I trust you and I today are believing in the unseen Jesus. The Jesus you can't see physically and yet who is just as surely with his people as he was with these disciples. He isn't, as it were, in the little boat with us as we go through life anymore. He has gone to heaven. He's there. He's ministering through his spirit. But he's not gone away. His eye is still on us. His petitions are still including his people. His power is still there for our benefit. And he comes to pacify our hearts and to assure us that still himself, he's not changed. He's not gone away. He's not going to leave us to the storm. And he comes to say these words to them. Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And uh, of course, there's a lot of truth built into that as well. Uh, it isn't just that we need to learn about Jesus, wonderful though that is. Uh, it's also that we need to hear for ourselves the voice of Jesus speaking to us through his word, by his spirit. To take heart and to believe and to trust in him. Now you see, it's still stormy. The wind didn't cease until he had joined them in the boat. He's still outside. He's still on the sea. It's still stormy, but he is there and he's speaking into 
their situation. He's speaking into the anxiety of their hearts while they're still in the middle of the storm. You see, that's the wonderful thing, isn't it? That Jesus doesn't wait until the storm of your life is over before he then comes to address you and then tells you to calm down. He speaks into you through his truth. He speaks into your storm, into your situation, into your circumstances, into your fears. Because he sees you. He knows the detail of your need. And he comes and says, take heart, it is I. Don't be afraid. Whatever event is in your experience today as a Christian, however much it's brought things into your life that you didn't want or didn't expect, here are words that are so powerfully addressing you in the need of your soul, in the deepest need of your soul. It is I. Take heart. Don't be afraid. And he came into the boat with them and the wind ceased. See, his presence calms the situation for them. The pacifying Jesus. Today you may not have peace in your heart. Today you may not be a Christian yet. You may not have given your life to Jesus. You may not have responded positively to his call, come to me and I will give you rest. All you who labour, heavy laden, whatever your labour is about, even if you find yourself spiritually and mentally and, um, and morally toiling and struggling in your life with things that you would dearly want to get rid of, and things you want to overcome and things you want help with. Go to the praying Jesus, the perceptive Jesus, the powerful Jesus, the pacifying Jesus. Because you can be right in the midst of a storm and have the calmest heart in the universe. When the presence of Christ is with you and assured and when he speaks to you through his word and spirit and says, It is I. Take courage. Don't. Be afraid. And we all need that. And we need that regularly. Just to wait and listen for him. And he comes walking across the seas of our distress. And speaks into our anxiety. And assures us that because he is there, all will be well. And you see then, they were utterly astounded. For they did not understand about the loaves. But their hearts were hardened. And that's remarkable. They were absolutely astonished at what had happened and yet there was something very lacking in their lives even at that point because they had not learned from the previous miracle to be prepared to see Jesus in this remarkable way as their remarkable saviour and as their remarkable leader. They were hardened in their hearts. They did not understand about the loaves. You'll see more detail about it in John chapter 6. Read that through later and just follow on from this study. You can see there in John 6 that it came to the point where many of his disciples, followers, walked no longer with him. They weren't prepared to follow him anymore. They did not understand the significance of the miracle of the loaves and the fish. And so they did not understand the significance of this one either at that point. They were astounded not through the strength of their faith, but through the lack of it, really, or the weakness of it. Or they did not understand about the loaves, but 
that hearts were hardened. So what is that point for ourselves? It's this. Pray for increasing understanding of God and of his ways. Like the psalmist in Psalm 25. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth. Therein be my teacher. These few verses are so appropriate to cap this wonderful passage of Scripture about the praying Jesus, the perceptive Jesus, the powerful Jesus, and the pacifying Jesus, the Jesus you and I need today and always. Lord our God, we thank you for your understanding of us. We thank you for the way in which you have come to be involved in the issues of our life in this world. We thank you especially for your overcoming of all that was against you in the powers of nature itself and especially the powers of sin and the powers of the devil. We thank you today that you stand above them all as the triumphant Lord of your people. Speak into our hearts, Lord, today by your truth. Guide us in your way and show us your way. Give us increased understanding, we pray, that our following of you may be all the more committed and that we may all the more be determined uh, that we will not be deflected from following you as our Lord. Hear us, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen. We're going to conclude now in some verses uh, from Psalm 93. That's Psalm 93 in the Scottish Psalter version, the last three verses. And we'll soon sing to the tune Glasgow. The floods, O Lord, have lifted up, they lifted up their voice. The floods have lifted up their waves and made a mighty noise, but yet... The Lord that is on high is more of might by far than noise of many waters is, for great sea billows are. So on uh, to the end of the psalm. The floods, O Lord, have lifted up, they lifted up their voice. The floods, O Lord, have lifted up, they
once again, thank you very much indeed for joining us. It's very encouraging to us to have so many uh, prepared to join with us online for these services meantime. And please be encouraged in uh, God's word as you do this with us. Uh, if you can, please join us again this evening at 6.30 uh, when the service will be conducted by Reverend Kenny I. McLeod. Meantime, please keep safe and may God continue to bless you in your lives.